Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Ephesians 4, 27. Neither give place to the devil. Now we read this text just a moment ago, but I want to hone in on our interest this evening is neither give place to the devil. This is one of these great adversaries that you and I face throughout our walk with God. We've highlighted them. We've said the world, the flesh, and then ultimately the devil. But I want to take you in your scriptures this evening to four or five verses. Now, I'm not going to read all of the passages, but I want to take you about four or five verses to highlight something. And then I want to come back uh, this evening, back to Ephesians chapter 4, and look a little bit at chapter uh, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and give you some ways in which a believer, you and I, if you will, can often give place to the devil. Let me give you these passages. Look over, if you will, and um, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 first. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me give you a moment because I do want you to turn here to these passages. These are references that we hear often said in regard to our adversary, the devil, the great slanderer. He's mentioned by a number of names throughout scriptures. He formerly was one of the high archangels of God, uh, mentioned in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, lifted up in pride. You see that manifested with the five I wills of the Isaiah passage. I will, I will, I will. He contended. Uh, with Michael regarding the body of Moses and Jude. Uh, He has no respect. If you want to see the attitude of Satan towards God, read those passages in the gospel or rather the epistle of Jude that pertains to false teachers. Uh, He says, Jude says that they, they have no respect for dignity. That's things of a high order. They have no desire for any submission in their life. And these are some of the things that, that overrun, if you will, in the attitudes and seen fully in the face as we encounter Lucifer in Isaiah and later in Ezekiel. And now he stands in a great opposition against those that Jesus Christ loves. Of course, I'm speaking of none other than his uh, children, the sons of God, believers, saints of God's, you and I. You're in First Peter chapter 5. Uh, He reminds us in verse number 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. The theme of 1 Peter being suffering and in the time of suffering you and I need to be uh, cautious and insistent and ceaseless in our prayers to cast these cares upon him. But notice if you will in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant for because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walking about and what's the last phrase tell us? Seeking whom he may desire. Just just a note here about this particular passage. There's the admonition of sober-mindedness. When you come across sober-mindedness, he's not talking about the opposite of intoxication. He's talking about a level of awareness, of uh, of sobriety of fault, not necessarily sobriety of... uh, uh, of ceaselessness of alcohol. But, but the idea of sober-minded is stop whistling by the graveyard. Stop considering the fact that you have not this adversary in your life. He seconds that with the idea of commanding them to be vigilant. To be vigilant is to be aware. First uh, Corinthians talks about this. He talks about the fact of awake to righteousness. And too often in our Christian life, I think sometimes we seemingly deal and contend so much with the flesh and with the world that we become remiss in our understanding that there is a diabolical person, Satan, the devil, who seeks as his great glory 
to destroy those that named the name of Christ. And you'll remember Peter, the great apostle, is recorded in scriptures. The Lord said, Peter, I'm going to pray for you. Do you remember why the Lord Jesus said he's going to pray for Peter? He said, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. Now, my friend, I would not measure ourselves against Peter. But if that was the attitude and the feeling and the mindset of the evil one against the apostle Peter, how would it not be his mindset against you and I as well? Notice the second passage. So this one seems to be an admonition of warning Satan and how he directly is involved, if you will, uh, with the calls and direction in the life of a believer. And there is a heeding to be aware and consistent. I didn't read verse number 9. In verse number 9 he says, Whom resists steadfast in the faith. That word resist, it means to defend yourself with full battle array using, if I can put it in this sense, Every uh, article in your arsenal of your armament. Did I get enough in there? Use every tool biblically authorized at your disposal. Now, if you will, let me give you another passage. Look, if you will, in 1 Corinthians. Um, you know what? Let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And then I want to go to 1 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, in the first epistle of the Corinthian church, you have a pro we have a number of problems, but one of them in involved uh, immorality that was commonly spoken of within the church. When Apostle Paul addressing them, um, told them, you know, you've, you've got to deal with this, and the fellow will not repent. You have to put him out of the church. And he goes through that. Well, in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, it seems that that's what they did. And when you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, notice, if you will, just a few verses here. Um, verse number 9, For to this end also did I write, that I might now the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom you forgave anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Look at the very next verse. Lest Satan should get what? Advantage of us. <clears throat> For we are not ignorant of his devices. Here's an interesting statement. That word advantage, if you write in your Bible, you circle it. It, it means to get an unlawful gain. It's a word that we commonly use. We would talk about so-and-so uh, took advantage of me. They took a liberty with me that I was not readily ready for them to do. This is the direct word here, advantage. It is to defraud and thereby derive gain. It's to promise one thing and deliver on something else. In the admonition in direct context, he's talking about your labor in and among the assembly, primarily your ability to forgive others. And Paul admonishes them, beware about this, for your failure to follow in obedience to Christ will result in you giving gain to your enemy. Now, you think of this in a battle context, in a war context. You think about an enemy that wages an incessant war against you. And what would we call an individual who just surrendered needed ground unnecessarily? Well, you would look at them and call them a traitor, a turncoat, etc. 
Yet so often one of the great disabling activities by which that a Christian engages in is when they give up ground that has already been won. I think that's a terrible plight that we can find ourselves in. We have grown in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and then a failing here in context to forgive and set us back. We will have given a foothold, if you will, a toehold to the adversary to take advantage of us. Let me show you another one that is used. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, this is another passage where I, 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 I'm pointing these out. These are very familiar ones in the New Testament. We're not dealing with the character and all the traits and the background. I'm just simply noticing these three or four specific, specific passages because it gives you an understanding of what is being mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. Neither give place to the devil. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul here is dealing with things relating to um, intimate relationships, if you will. He says in verse number 1 about it's good for a man not to touch a woman. I would drop your eyes down to verse number 5. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. And just note this last phrase, that Satan, what? I would simply point this out, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There is no place in the Christian life that is off limits to the diabolical, diabolical workings of Satan. There's no place that you can go to use, turn back over to Ephesians, to use our modern context. There is no safe space. It is not the intimate uh, bedroom of marriage. It is not the safety of the assembly. It's not even the recourse of your mind. So on the prowl and on the hunt is the evil one that all is fair in his mind, in love and in war. And notice the admonition here in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil. One last passage, and I won't have you turn there. I'll just reference it for time's sake. But that's 1 John chapter 4 in the fourth verse. We're reminded that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. By context, we could think of John chapter 17. I have overcome the world. We can think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Uh, speaking of God and His power, it's mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. The reference they're saying is the independency. Your and my failure with regard to our spiritual warfare is not God's fault. God's hand is not yet short that it cannot save. His arm has not been weakened with the passing of times and years. His strength has not been diminished because of the constant deliverance of his saints. He stands ready, able, and fully capable to defend his saints if they will but rest in him. But the admonition in this passage deals primarily and focused primarily on believers. The subject of verse number 27, look again, is fully understood. Who's he talking about? Neither give place to the devil. You, the believer, me. 
So that stands without an understanding that it's a problem so often in the lives of believers. I would submit to you that this idea of giving place to the believer, or giving place rather to the devil, it often happens unconsciously. We're not even considering it. Why? You know, you take for a moment, those of you that engage in, in, in media and watching or reading news, kind of stay up to date. Um, when you hear something come across that maybe strikes at the very heart of, um, of the country or maybe it strikes even at the heart of, of what we know about the character of God and how your ears perk up about that. You ever had that experience? You heard something? You, why? Because we looked at whatever that media source is and we might would gauge of it that that's not the, always the right source. That there are certain people that spin it a certain way, if you will. And so we have our mind attuned. And when someone speaks, we're aware. Well, you know, Satan does never come across that way. He is never coming through the front door with a battering ram seeking to knock in the front doors. And in your and my mind, we're affixed in a position behind the door, bracing against each painful blow. It doesn't work that way. The scripture speaks of Satan as one that can even appear as an angel of light. In fact, do you know chronologically the first characteristic trait that we have regarding Satan? Speaking of the serpent, the serpent rather, do you remember what his characteristic trait is? That's right, he was more subtle. He was wily. He was skillful. What did he do to make Adam and Eve fall? Did, did he break out classic kung fu? Did, did he move on some wrestling move and put them in a full Nelson and begin to smash their face around? Is that, is that how it... No. The, no. How did he come? Just subtle. With questions. Poking that one area that they seem so readily to converse about. What truly has God said? That's really the definition of a Gnostic. What has God said? It's not an honest question. It's dishonesty based in a rejection of the revealed truth. She and Adam knew full well what had happened. So what then was the problem? What brought them to the precipice of being in that position in the first place? They drew near to the wrong place. All of that conversation happened around the tree that, of whose fruit they were forbidden to take. You want to see a classic example of two individuals that gave place to the devil? You need to look no further than Genesis chapter 3. They caught themselves admiring something that God had forbidden. They caught themselves questioning something God had said. They caught themselves considering themselves in a way in which they could not. That is, that they themselves would be like God. Why couldn't they have just separated themselves from that place? They'd have been so far, they could go anywhere they want. 
wasn't a sin to be around her. But why would they put themselves in that predicament and therefore succumb to such grave sin when the temptation came in life? So often, giving place to the devil, it happens unconsciously. It happens sometimes out of ignorance. It is said of Satan in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 that he has the capacity, ability, and directive to deceive the whole world. And in general truth, brethren, he has such a way with power and subtleness that one day he will in a real sense deceive the whole world save the elect. How then is it that a Christian at this hour can give place to the devil? Let me just give you five things this evening. Right out of the text. I think first we start with verse number 27 and we say this, or verse number, yes, neither give place to the devil. We give place to the devil, number one, when we fail to heed God's announcement. When we fail, or if you will, when we allow God's announcement to go unheeded. These verses we looked at a moment ago, they are constant, they are replete. Beware, be vigilant, be sober. You have an adversary. He'll tempt you. He'll take advantage of you. He'll steal from you. Anytime a child of God refuses to heed God's glorious announcements, they have given place to the devil. The scriptures has reminded us uh, that Satan is seeking whom he may devour. I cannot find in scriptures any time that there is a guarantee of God's provision to the reckless and to the rebellious soul. When we seek into the scriptures and God reveals our adversaries and our enemies and he cautions warning and we come to the place to say, well, God, I just don't see it that way. We've given place to the devil. When we brashly have proclaimed, well, that would never happen to me. We've lifted up ourselves into an exalted plane. And that exalted plane is none other than Satan's very court. He's quite adept at using man's robust hubris and his diabolical rebellion and his willfulness and his stiff neckedness against God. He's quite adept at turning and twisting. And when you and I refuse blatantly God's announcement and allow it to pass unheeding, we have given place to the devil and temptation will surely come. And if we go unrepentant, surely a fall will pursue. Notice the second one that I'll grant you. Drop your eyes down in chapter 4. Move up to verse number 23. Another way in which believers give place to the devil. When they allow God's announcement to go unheeded, look at verse 23. There's a lot to cover here, but for time's sake, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I like this word renewed. You know what it means? It has the idea of renovating. Renovating. Let me ask you a question. Is renovate the same as clean. If I'm cleaning a room, is that the same thing as renovating a room? 
What's the difference? Well, preacher, far sight's the difference. About five years ago, some of you folks in the church helped us. We, we renovated a, a, a kitchen. I don't know that you could actually call it clean. It was dirt everywhere. You had to tear things out. And then when we began to put it back in, nothing went back. This was intentional design. Nothing really went back where it was supposed to go. Well, the refrigerator got put over in, in this corner and the stove got moved over here and this got moved over here. That's the idea of a renewal. It's the idea to renovate something. Note the passage again with that definition in mind. Be renewed, renovated, redone in the spirit of your mind. Now there's a reason why a believer has to have a renewed, think renovated mind. Look in the previous verses. Verse 17. I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. When you think of the word Gentiles, it can mean those that are outside the covenant made to Israel. It can mean that. It can mean unbelievers as well. It also can mean non-Jewish in a sense of those uh, that have not converted to that state. In this context here, he's talking about unbelievers. Notice what he says about these Gentiles, not as other Gentiles walk, and look at this, in the vanity of their mind. With mind, he's talking about their intellect, their mindset. The vanity, he's talking about how empty it is. He's saying the unbelieving world, they walk, the scripture records, with an absolute empty disorder ordered, biblically at least, disordered intellect. Having, for more clarity in verse number 18, having the understanding darkened. That's their imagination. Their deep fault life, if you will. Being alienated from the life of God. That's how we know that they're unsaved Gentiles. They've not embraced the free gift of God. They're still under the condemnation of God. And he said through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness, callousness, Hardness, you know, you might even Romans chapter 11, stupidity, if you will. Verse number 19, who being past feeling. If you write in your Bible, circle that word. That past feeling, it, it means apathetic. No longer sense any consciousness. Their conscience no longer has any power to prove or to poke them or to challenge them on decisions they make. And what happens? They have given themselves over to lasciviousness. That's filth of every kind to work all uncleanliness with greediness, covetousness. Now notice, if you will, in verse number 21, or 20 rather, but ye have not so learned of Christ. I submit to you a second time a believer gives place to the devil, not only when they fail to heed the announcement that God has given, but when they fail... They give place to the devil when their attitude is undisciplined. When I speak of attitude, I'm talking about their mindset. That part of their inward man, there's no discipline to it. It's unfocused. It's undiligent. They've yet to renovate it under the perfect law of God. You know, the reality of Ephesians chapter 4, those first three chapters that deal with all of this doctrinal matter, it sets up for this practical application in chapter 4, 5, and 6. And here's the essence of it. You've been brought nigh. You've been born again. You're now heirs with Christ Jesus. Act like it. Think like it. Consider these things.
So often in our life, Christians, it's, it's like we have conformed to an outward expression of godliness, but our mind still thinks like a worldly man's mind. We make our decisions. We make our considerations all out of a mind that is still developed under a curse of sin and not out of a mind that comes being renovated by the very Spirit of God. The world, the world can never teach you to think godly. Yeah, I'll give you case in point. The world says, do unto others before they do unto you. What is it that God has said? Avenge not yourself. How do you reconcile those things as anything but distinctly separate? God said there is clean and unclean. The world says they're all the same. Jesus, the Lord said, John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and life. The world says you can't know truth. As a child of God, as we meditate on the Word of God, it's a glorious thing. And I'm all for reading the Bible. We have Bible reading programs. But I'm telling you, sometimes we'll just all sit there and revolve our mind around overt truths of scriptures. You know, the sad thing in Christian life sometimes is folks have the idea that Bible study means finding the deeper things of scripture. I listened to a fellow the other day was talking about before he went to preach. He said, now I want to I give you a little numerology. And I said, uh-oh. And he said, uh, he said, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. It was a sermon on the mountain. And he started reading down through I forget how he did it all now, but he said, now you note that seventh word there. That seventh word, seven, the note the number seven. You take one from seven and you get six, 16. Now look at the 11th word. Now look right there, the 1611 Bible is right there in that passage. And you could hear some of the people, wow. And I thought to myself, do they, do they realize that that was anything but God speaking? Sometimes folks say, well, I want to get into the deeper things of scriptures. I have really, I just, I can't, I don't know how to say this other than blunt. We do so much better in life as some of the deeper things we let go and just did what we were supposed to do. You say, you're saying it's not important. I'm saying, no, I think there's some deeper things in the Bible that people make up. Some things in my Christian life that I need to discipline my mind around. I need to have them renovated by the very Spirit of God. And that renovation won't come by a glossary purview of Scriptures. It comes by a deep, consistent, continual study of the Word of God that prays that I might know Him and be made conformable to His very image. You know what you're praying when you speak of conformable? God, renovate my mindset. Make me think differently. Make me love God the things I do not love. Make me prioritize the things that I do not prioritize. This. Make me different, dear God. I mean, it may come as a stern shock to you. But we all need this mindset. I, I, I don't want to use all my time here, but Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the very addressing statement I'm attempting to make this evening. One way to give place to the devil, letting God's announcement goes unheeded, 
but also allowing our attitude, by that I mean your mind, be undisciplined. God, you have saved me, and now I'll, I'll think my way through it. Man, I'm going to tell you what, you know how many times I find out my thinker is just flat wrong? Do you know that God is not particularly interested? He didn't save you for your ability to think. He wants you to think. There's a part of that. But he knows our thoughts are far off. And at the end of that passage where the psalmist spoke that, comes down at the end of it, he said, Search me, O God, and find all the unclean ways. My mind needs to be renovated. And a mindset that is undisciplined, well, that's a place where we give place, a foothold, a spot, if you will, to the devil. Notice the third thing. Drop your eyes down to verse 25. And I'm not going to touch on each of these, but talks about put on the new man. He has new actions. Verse 25, he puts away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. And I must emphasize just for a moment, he's speaking what to his neighbor? Well, let me play the devil's advocate just for a moment, if we can use that phraseology in this message. What does it mean, speak truth? <laughs> I mean, there's some people today that speak truth to power. You hear that expression? Only their truth and truth aren't the same thing they have an inconsistent affiliation with what truth is. So what, what truth are we speaking to our neighbor? Does this mean that I'm to give my neighbor peace of my mind? Well, be careful if all your mind isn't renovated. You didn't give him any truth. Let him speak truth to his neighbor. Notice, if you will, in verse number 26, and this is the direct context that links verse 27. Be ye angry and sin not. Verse 28, him that stole, let him steal no more. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication. Verses 30, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, all malice. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I would submit to you another place that you and I as believers can give place to the devil. It's when our actions are unbecoming. When our actions are unbecoming. Unbecoming of what? Of what a child of God should be. When I've given myself over to any and all of these, when I have no ability to forgive, I mean, it's a terrible plight. Brother alluded to this in the Sunday school. It's a terrible plight that a Christian would find themselves in that they can be more long-suffering to a heathen than they can be to somebody they go to church with. That, that's a terrible consideration. Why? Because I'll be honest, that's exactly what the evil one wants you to do. Hold on to that bitterness a little bit. Hold on to that irritant that you have. It's like an oyster, you know, you allow that irritant just to brew. Well, it don't finish up a pearl in a Christian's life. It's not of worldwide value. It'll be disrupting to your spiritual life and you will have given place to the devil. He may not have the ability to put thoughts in your life or I should say in your mind. But friend, he has worked a lot with great humans before. People mightier and more noble than us 
And he has that ability to understand a little bit of your thoughts. And when I am bitter and angry and wrathful and clamoring and evil speaking and running off out the mouth and carrying on and just full of indignation, my actions are unbecoming and I have stepped right into his domicile. I've given place to the devil. Notice the fourth one, if you will. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Really that first verse, and I'll speak about some of these other ones, but just really as a survey. You want to know another way to give place to the devil? Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Can I ask you, I'm asking you questions. I feel like good questions prime our mind to consideration. Why does that verse need to be there? It's inherent. He's talking about for Jesus' sake. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. He's talking about the Father. He's already talked in the previous three chapters. Yet chapter 3, he talks about uh, being full of understanding and comprehending with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, to be filled with all the fullness. Well, if that's the case, why do we need chapter 5 and verse 1? Wouldn't it be implied? I mean, if God has redeemed me from an alienated state, God has taken me from the place under the dominion of evil and wickedness, I was an enemy, ungodly, godless, disobedient, reprobate, if you will. And by faith in His marvelous grace, God has allowed me to become a son of God. Wouldn't it be implied that I would always follow Him? To those Calvinist folks, why is it that... A Christian has no choice until after they get saved and then they're full of choices. Be ye followers of God because you and I as believers can sometimes have the avenue of our life unguided, undirected, if you will. What do you mean? I mean, I can profess the Lord Jesus Christ. I can be a blood-washed child of God that half the time I'm not walking as I ought to walk. In fact, walk is the optimal word in Ephesians chapter 5. If you will, it's the aerobic chapter of the Bible. You're walking all over the place in chapter 5. Chapter 5 verse 17, you're walking circumspect. You're walking not as unwise, but walking circumspect, redeeming the time as the days are evil. He's going to mention this over again in these passages. Have no uh, fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. It's a shame even to speak of those things that are done in secret. He talks of them about walking in the light as things are manifested in the light. I give place to the devil when the avenue of my life, I, I'm talking about the direction I'm going, is undirected or unguided. I'm just roaming around. You ever been in a shopping place? And there'll be a parent, a guardian, aunt, grandma, whatever. And there'll be a little child. I don't even know if they still do this, but they've got like a harness on that child. And a rope that comes out the back of it. You ever seen these things? Now it's not really a rope. It's not tied around their neck. That'd be bad. But um, it, it's, it's like a customizable leash for a child. Is that what you needed, Grace Anna? Get one of those? No. <clears throat> They've got this on this child. Why? Why? Doesn't that child love mama and daddy? Oh, 
all we like sheep have. There's a little bit of wonder in a child of God. Prone, the hymnist writes, to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Be there for followers of God. Dear children, when the avenue of my life is undirected, thereby I have given a fertile ground and the devil will have a place, an opportunity in my life. Let me give you a fifth one. Turn over, if you will, to the sixth chapter. We'll conclude with this fifth one. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the what? Emphasis on one word here. The whole armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I have given place to the devil in my life when my armor is unworn. Look at this armor for a moment. I want you to know what it covers, what it protects. He admonishes in verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We think our biggest problem in his life is people. It did not take me long in the ministry to realize that there are two prayers that I feel in one sense one should consider. We'll say, Lord, I pray that by your power we'd see people saved and join a church and the church would grow. And all God's people said, you know what the next part of the prayer has to be in a few years? Lord, help me not to half kill this Christian brother. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You ever notice that? Church at Jerusalem's only a couple chapters old. And God's already killing some of those children. Ananias and Sapphire, didn't he? Yes. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Your greatest adversary isn't a person in the sense of what you and I think. What are you wrestling against? Principalities and powers? Rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness and what? The heavenlies. Now he's going to move on, verse number 13, take on the whole second time that word's used, that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. But what is it? He speaks of this in verse 14. Loins gird about with truth. You know what, as a child of God, ought to be an essential, never leave home without it, piece of armor? Truth. It's the closest to you and it covers the most vital areas of your existence. Truth. Girt about with truth. He mentions another one. And by the way, I should share with you, the world does not have access to truth. 17th chapter is the Lord Jesus prayed for you and I by application. Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Having the knowledge of the person and work of Jesus Christ 
what He wants from you, who He is, who you are, who you are in Him. All of these are essential in understanding truth. He moves on. Verse 14. Loins go about with truth. Breastplate of what? Well, that's glorious there. Righteousness is the kissing cousin to godliness. Godliness is what humanity sees. Righteousness is what God sees. Of, of godliness, the Apostle Paul in the 6th chapter says that contentment with godliness is what? Great gain. It has the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What are you known for in this life? That's what that breastplate was. It's the identifying point. Do you realize in the Old Testament, Levitical priest was identified by what was on his chest? He had there all the gems representing all the 12 tribes. From afar, you could see those diadems glisten to all that would see it. You know what the world ought to see from you? Righteousness. The very reflection of the work of God in you. He goes on in verse number feet, 15, rather, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Feet ready to preach the glorious truths. Romans chapter 10, quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, says how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. It goes on. Above all, the what? Shield of faith. I remind you of the passage we read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 5. Whom resist steadfastly in the faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. I'm trusting the words of my Savior. I'm trusting the indwelling Spirit of God. I'm trusting that which communes and assures and directs my feet aright. I'm going to walk righteously. I'm going to indwell or allow myself to be indwelled with the teaching and truths of the Word of God. And then he speaks in verse 17. and verse 16 or 17, I, quenching all the fiery darts. It's faith that does that. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Where's that helmet go? Goes on your head. I think about our mind again. So much of the battle for the Christian life is fault right here. Temptation, imaginations, Comparisons, bitterness, anger, evil speaking. But ye are washed. Ye are clean. You know, any child of God has placed themselves in a point to be taken advantage of by Satan when they refuse to wear the whole armor of God. Any and all of these put us in the same place that dear Eve was, in the home court of the evil one. He did not have to rip her arm off and he will not have to rip ours off. His subtlety, his twisting, masterful twisting of Scripture places us at a distinct disadvantage if we're not walking with Jesus Christ. Neither give place Let's stand for feet. Father, 
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.